Okay, so we're going to take a break from 1 John tonight. We've been spending some time in 1 John, and we're going to pick it up again next week. But tonight, I want to talk with you about rest. I want to talk with you about rest. Just wondering, how are you doing at this point in the semester? Right? This is, this is about the point in the semester when I forget how to rest. Right? I, um, I see the end of the semester coming. I'm sure you do the same thing. And I start filling up my schedule with everything I possibly can. And I, I just stop, end up not resting. Maybe this is you. Maybe you've got like three tests and three projects due before the last day of class. And then you've got exams. Um, maybe you're, you're surprised that there's only two weeks left. And um, so you're trying to fill up your social calendar with the lasts, right? For seniors, um, the lasts of your friendships. Or not in your friendship. The <laughs> Spoiler alert. No, that's not true. Um, uh, not in your friendships. But the lasts of your time together awake in uh, underclassmen, last of the time with seniors, right? You're filling it up, your social calendar. That doesn't, not to mention the final papers you've got and the projects you have. Um, and the paperwork that's due for your summer plans, right, you guys have so much right now. And um, so how do you feel? How are you doing at this point in the semester? Maybe it feels like you're drowning. Uh, maybe your head's just barely above water. And for most of us, I think um, this happens in college and it continues for us that we just can't figure out the rhythm of rest. Like figuring out the rhythm of rest is very difficult. I had a friend in high school named Kips who had zero rhythm. I mean, zero rhythm. He would wear these big headphones and put on um, music with heavy rhythm, like hip-hop or something, and just try so hard to get the, like, the clap on beat, and he just couldn't do it. And um, we'd go to this – right, I was in high school in like the late 90s, early 2000s, and there's this place in Charlottesville where I grew up called The Max – which had line dancing on Wednesday night. Um, and they eventually shut down because there are too many people getting shot in the parking lot. But um, <laughs> we would go to line dancing on Wednesday night, and poor Kips would, like, he couldn't do it. Like, he, he just couldn't get the rhythm. Um, his rhythm was so bad that he became a joke even to himself. And our culture has a bad rhythm when it comes to rest. Um, we just don't know how to do it. We, as much as we try, we just can't figure out rest on our own. So um, today, or tonight, what we're going to do, we're going to look at a passage from the book of Deuteronomy in the Old Testament to help us learn a new rhythm and discover how it is that God desires for us to rest. So if you want to turn there with me, it's on the back of your bulletin. I'm going to read from Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 12 through 15. This is God's word for us tonight. He gives, us a, he gives it to us in love. Um, starting verse 12. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy, as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates, that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. This is the word of the Lord. So I'm going to start with the outlines there, um, talking about our bad rhythm. And then uh, that both to us and to Israel, um, God offers us a new and good rhythm. 
So first, what is our bad rhythm? I've got a quote on the front of the bulletin from a guy named Tim Kreider, and he says this. He says, busyness serves as a kind of existential reassurance, a hedge against emptiness. Obviously, your life cannot possibly be silly or trivial or meaningless if you are so busy, so completely booked, in demand every hour of the day. Maybe you hear yourself using this language to justify yourself, right? You're asked how you're doing. First thing out of your mouth is, I'm busy. I'm so busy. Or we use this language um, to assume that other people don't have time for us. You know, I'd love to get together sometime, but I just know that you're so busy. You're too busy. And not just with our schoolwork or um, the organizations you're a part of, but it's with everything we do. I mean, our phones are designed to never be turned off. And what this does to us is we, right, we try to squeeze every possible ounce of productivity or distraction f- from our days. Um, and our phones enable us to continue our busyness wherever we go. And Wake acknowledges that we have a busy, we have busy lives, right? I mean, we had sleep week. I don't remember when that was February. And there's this sign that said, if you fall asleep within five minutes of your head hitting the pillow, you're not getting enough rest. I mean, I am head pillow out. And so this, uh, I think sleep week exists just to make me feel guilty for not getting us. I don't know if you guys felt that way, if you felt encouraged to sleep or it was just like, oh, it's just one more thing I'm not doing. I'm not sleeping. Um, Like just one more thing that you're failing at. Or, I mean, I think the Thrive campaign is great and they're doing great stuff. Um, But but sometimes I wonder if for y'all, if it just feels like one more thing that you're not doing. Just one more thing on your schedule that you're not keeping up with. One more thing that, you, that you're like, oh, i got to do that too. i got to have all nine leaves in place so that my life is perfect and succinct. Right? Like this is – they're nine, right? Did I get that right? I don't know. But like this is, this is something that – I don't know if you guys carry this around, but something that I feel, this, this burden of i got to be more busy than I am and I don't know how to rest. So Wake does acknowledge the culture of busyness, but it also, um, as a culture, ignores that it's a problem. Right? You – you work your tail off for your classes and your extracurriculars, um, and then you, you've got to show up to that party just to say hey to everyone. Like you, we, we, just, we don't have any rhythm together of rest. There is no rhythm amongst – I mean, the Thrive might acknowledge you need rest, but do your professors acknowledge that, right? Like there's, just, there's, um, there's no structure for us together to rest. And for those of you who are graduating and you're heading into the workforce, um, many of your corporate structures will have a bad rhythm. You'll slave away for the first three years. You'll get more leisure as you age up. It might have to wait until people who are older in the company retire for you to even move up. And for others of you, your corporate culture will be that you actually work harder the higher up you go. So you might get paid more, but you'll have to work more. And there's just lots of different voices um, about the best way for us to work. But in the midst of it, we all feel like we need to stay busy, stay busy, stay busy. I remember a yearbook quote from high school that said, uh, I'll sleep when I'm dead. Rest is for the weak. No, rest is for humans. Like, we're designed to rest. Um, and we're not just busy, right? We're, we're anxious. We feel overwhelmed. We suffer health problems from our work regimens. I remember some of y'all coming back from Christmas break and your hair was fuller and brighter because you actually slept over break. Um, and not only that, you're scared. Right? You're scared of not getting your work done on time. Some of you are so anxious that you get up before your alarm. Others of you put off your work and are always pulling all-nighters. And all of us are somewhere in between that. Friends, we have a bad rhythm. We need rest. We're not really sure how to get it. And Israel had a bad rhythm too. Um, Israel's bad rhythm 
was slavery. The people of Israel were enslaved in Egypt for 430 years. And we know that during their time in slavery, things didn't get better. They actually got worse. And this is recorded in the opening chapters, opening chapters of the book of Exodus. The people of Israel were used by the Egyptians to build the cities of Pithom and Ramses. And Pharaoh had this incredibly grueling production schedule. In Exodus 5, we're told about Pharaoh's demands on Israel. Um, they didn't take a day off. Their supplies for making bricks were taken away, and they're expected to make the same amount of bricks without any straw. Then when Moses asked for permission for them to take time to rest and to worship, Pharaoh increased their workload. Their production schedule was sped up. Not only were they expected to make bricks without straw, they're expected to do it faster than, than when they were given the proper materials. And they, and they were mocked. They were called lazy. They were told that God's call for them to rest was a lie. Israel worked as slaves for 430 years. 430 years. All they knew was slavery. And they had no concept of a day of rest because no one had ever experienced it. So to both Israel and to us, God gives us the gracious gift of Sabbath. Sabbath is a good new rhythm. So what is Sabbath? Simply put, Sabbath is a structure of six days of working and one day of holy rest. And specifically today, I want to talk about the purpose of Sabbath being twofold. Um, Sabbath for proclamation and Sabbath as protest. So first, Sabbath is proclamation. In Deuteronomy 5, Sabbath is given as part of the covenant that God made with his people after he rescued them out of Egypt. It's the fourth commandment. It was given to Israel to proclaim God's work of redemption. If you look at verse 15 with me, it says this. God says, You shall remember that you are a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. God is calling Israel to remember both their slavery and to remember God's work of delivering them from that slavery. Sabbath is a day to remember God's deliverance of Israel. And we're told that they were delivered by his hand and his arm. So his mighty hand. This is how God displayed his power over Egypt um, through the plagues. And the outstretched arm, this is uh, speaking of God reaching out and rescuing them, pulling them through the Red Sea, pulling them out of Israel, out of Egypt, out of slavery, into, um, into the promised land. God commanded his people to rest and to tell one another why they were resting. They are to tell one another, we rest because we were slaves and God has rescued us. And as Christians, we're called to do the same thing with the Sabbath. The Sabbath is the day for us to proclaim the work of redemption that God has worked for us in Jesus Christ. So on Sunday, the church gathers for worship to proclaim to, together, to proclaim to one another, to proclaim the depths of our own sin, our depravity, our helplessness, and the beauty and the glory of the grace of God for us in Jesus Christ. When we confess our sin together and worship on Sunday morning, we don't hear, it's okay, it's not a big deal. We don't hear, don't worry about it. We don't hear, um, just don't do it again. But rather, we hear assurance. We have confidence, this promise of our forgiveness in Christ. It's because the church looks to Jesus' death and his resurrection and says, that is our rescue. The Sabbath is for proclamation. So when you go to worship with other Christians on Sunday, you are proclaiming God's grace to yourself, you're proclaiming God's grace to one another, and you're proclaiming God's grace to the world. 
But outside of Sunday morning worship um, or Sunday evening worship, how do we proclaim God's grace in our rest? One pastor named Eugene Peterson says this. He says, Sabbath is for prayer and for play. And together, Sabbath is for prayerful play and playful prayer. Prayerful play and playful prayer. So how do we do this? He says, watch children. Just watch how children do it. He says, children do both all the time, showing that playing and praying are not alien habits that we have to acquire, but rather the recovery of something deeply essential within us. Prayerful play. Um, What does this mean? This means that our play on the Sabbath somehow tells the story of God's grace. We play because God has given us a day to rest. So, play together. Go have a picnic on the quad, or go to a park, or bring a ball to Renolda. Go rest from your work and play. And then tell each other the story of redemption. This, this is how we celebrate what God has done for us in Christ. We rest. So that's prayerful play, and also playful prayer. Playful prayer. I have an incredibly awful, embarrassing memory from one winter about nine years ago. I was, um, I was in seminary. I was trying to make sense of how to keep the Sabbath. And I was a total jerk about it. Um, we were, Mary Clark and I were living in this house in Richmond that um, didn't have insulation when we bought it. And so we would keep our heat at 58 degrees in the winter. That was warm, keeping it warm at 58. And so we're in this cold, drafty old house in Richmond. And it was Sunday, and I told Mary Clark that we needed to pray And so I stayed downstairs, and she went upstairs, and I forced us to have private devotions. How ugly is that? It is so embarrassing to say that. Like, that's not what this means. Playful prayer, this is a call for us to delight in prayer together. Now, some of you might be thinking, okay, that sounds great for a pastor. But do you know my schedule? All the work that I've got left to do before the semester is over. How in the world could I make this work? That's a good question. It's a great question. Um, I remember when I was in grad school, I was, I was working a job as well. I wasn't taking a day off. My pastor was preaching on rest, and I said, hey, would you say something, to, say something for folks like me who've got too much to do to take a day of rest? And his response was, so you want me to add something in my sermon about breaking the fourth commandment and your laziness? Um, and so in response to that, I started taking a day of rest. He shamed me into, into rest. Um, and actually what happened was I, I didn't fail out of school. I actually started doing better because it forced me out of my laziness and my procrastination. Um, and so a question for you is how do you make this work when you're in college? How, do you, how can you imagine um, this sort of rest while you're in college? In 1959, Miles Davis um, recorded the album Kind of Blue. Um, it was best-selling, and some considered the greatest jazz record of all time. And as he set out to record this record, he gathered some of the greatest musicians of his time. Bill Evans on the piano, John Coltrane, and others. And to record this album, he called for no rehearsal, and the musicians had little idea what they were going to record. Prior to recording, Miles Davis gave the mus- musicians only sketches of scales and melody to lines on which to improvise. And then once the band assembled... Davis gave brief instructions for each piece and then began recording. And most of the record was recorded in those first takes. So God gives us the scale. He gives us this new rhythm of six days of work and one day of rest. And he says, go make music to my glory. Y'all, our lives tell a story. And our rest tells the world that there is something truer than your academic output. There's something truer than our economic output. 
There's something truer than our productivity. Now, there will be seasons in your life when you cannot rest on Sunday, but the call from Jesus is the same. Go make music to my glory. And that involves having the right rhythm. So Sabbath is proclamation, and also Sabbath is protest. So what are we protesting on the Sabbath? Simply put, when we rest, we are protesting the lie that you are your work. And that lie tells us to root our identity in what we do and what we accomplish. There's a quote from David Brooks on the front of your bulletin. I'll read this for us. He writes this in his book on Paradise Paradise Drive. Our identity, we often assume, is formed not by where we were born or where our ancestors are. Our identity is defined by what we do and accomplish. We measure our progress by our prowess. Whatever you are doing, you should never be merry as good tomorrow as you are today. If you are a bird watcher, you achieve a life list. If you are a punk musician, you become a better musician. If you are a swing dancer, your moves perpetually improve. Capacities are there to be cultivated, heading towards some never-achieved perfection. As anybody who looks at this life knows, this creed is not easy on its disciples. There is no rest. Expectations don't sleep. There's a little voice saying, you're not there yet. This was me. Um, About five years ago, I was a pastor at a church in Richmond and um, had my annual personnel review. Um, And I was at the point, I was taking a full load in seminary. I was working 30 hours, 30 plus hours a week for the church. And I just couldn't turn it off. Like I couldn't turn off work. I couldn't turn off talking about work. And my pastor and one of my elders told me that I was not allowed to talk about my work with my friends. And that was their directive. You just cannot talk about it with your friends because I just could, I couldn't turn it off. And this is still a struggle for me. I mean, I live in the same world that y'all do. Like it is, I'm still tempted to fill my margin with productivity. So when I rest, when we rest, we protest the lie that our identity is in what we do and accomplish. See, in the gospel, God offers you a new identity, not one based on what you accomplish, not an identity you achieve, but one you receive. Look at Israel's identity in this passage. Look at verse 15. Sorry, verse 13 says, um, six days you shall labor and do all your work. And then verse 15, you were a slave. The word labor and slave here are the same word in Hebrew. The work that they did as slaves became who they were. And the God's rescue of Israel, he gave them a new identity. No longer was their identity their work. They became God's people. They had the name of God placed on them as their true identity. And the same is true for you if you have faith in Christ. He changes your name. You are no longer defined by your economic output or or productivity. But rather you are defined by the love of God for you in Jesus Christ. So how does Sabbath protest the lie that you are your work? Well, it's a simple and quiet no. One day a week. One day a week you just say no to your work. And this establishes a different rhythm. And it's not just for you. Look at verse 14. Look how long verse 14 is. God is telling Israel their rest can't come at the expense of others. All of those people around Israel had to get a rest too. The Sabbath is a protest against the lie that you are your work, not just for you, but for everyone God has put under your care. And I know right now you don't have a lot of people under your care, um, but you will have people under your care when you're adults. Your spouse, your children, your employees. Friends, um, I have to be honest with you, this is really difficult. This sermon is very convicting for me because I'm still learning this. I'm still learning this new rhythm. 
And my anxiety levels, when I stop working, reveal how I'm working. If I'm working from my identity as a child of God, as I'm working from my identity as someone who's beloved in Christ, um, then when I stop working, I can actually rest. But if I'm working from my identity being in anything else, when I stop working, my mind keeps going. I'm anxious. I get stuck in my head. I can't rest. And you guys know this, right? This is why Wake Forest has to get blackout drunk on weekends. When you find your identity in what you do or what you accomplish, there is no way to slow down the train of anxiety and busyness. And so the only way to do that is just to turn off the lights, right? Just to get blackout, just to turn it off because there's no way to slow it down. And then to start it all over again on Sunday afternoon. And if you're tired of living a life of anxiety and busyness, believing the lie that you are your work, Jesus is offering you real rest. Isaiah 30, verse 15 says, For thus says the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, In repentance and rest you shall be saved. Psalm 43, 10, Be still and know that I am God. Salvation is by rest. And here's the thing, though. It doesn't come without a cost. Because if you do this, if you protest the dehumanizing pace of our culture, you will face resistance. Your lab partners might get upset. Your friends may feel betrayed. There is a cost to this. There is a cost to this. Um, In 1965 to 1966, Bob Dylan went on a world tour. This is the first tour that Dylan ever performed plugged in with an electric guitar. This is the first tour he brought along his band, The Band. And the folk music fans from around the world, they came out to hear him play. And they came out to hear Bob Dylan with the acoustic guitar and the harmonica. But the second half of the show, he came out and he plugged in an electric guitar. There's a famous video of this, that when, when Dylan started playing electric, um, his drummer and his keyboard and his bass player, and the music gets really loud, and the fans just hate it. At the concert, you actually hear the crowd screaming and chanting and yelling at Dylan and booing and hissing. And then the last song of the concert, Dylan begins to play the song Like a Rolling Stone. And no one knows this song yet. It's, it's new. Um, he's playing the intro. He's setting the rhythm. He's setting the pace for the band to pick up. And right in the middle of the intro, the audience starts clapping off rhythm. They start clapping intentionally off rhythm, trying to throw Dylan off, trying to draw his rhythm into their rhythm. And friends, this is what our culture does to us. Our culture has created competing rhythms that draw us off, trying to throw us off rhythm. At the beginning of that song, at a moment of quiet, someone from the crowd yells out, Judas! These fans feel betrayed by Dylan's new sound, and they laugh. And then Dylan leans into the mic and says, I don't believe you. You're a liar. Friends, when we practice the Sabbath, we are proclaiming the redemption that we have in Jesus Christ. We are protesting a culture that tries to throw us off with its competing rhythm. The Sabbath is a gift from God that is given to us in Christ. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And he is good for his promise. Through his death and resurrection, he has secured a true rest for us in him. Jesus is the power to protest the lie that you are your work. The power to protest the lie that you are your work. And Jesus is the one whom we proclaim through our rest. Who knew you could do so much by not doing anything? Let's pray. Our Father, thank you that you made us in your image and you made us to rest. And Lord, I pray for us, for me and for these friends, that you would teach us this rhythm. 
that we might proclaim your goodness and your redemption, and we might protest this culture that tells us that we are our work. Um, Lord, would you free us from this, that you might receive great glory in our lives. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. If y'all want to stand up, we're going to sing one more song. Right.